This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that Australia, the modern nation, has never come to terms with what was done to Indigenous people following European arrival. And in fact, this week, we've seen is adamantly refusing to do so and indicating that it has no intention of doing so if it can possibly get away with it any longer. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 130 for Sunday, 14th of June 2020. I'm Jeremy Pierco, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to the country, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Uh, tonight's guest host, uh, returning guest host, and when I say tonight it's going to be completely contradicted by all of the bird noises in the background, is my beloved wife Denise Pierco. Welcome back to Denise. Hello, and it really is welcome back, because I think this is the third time we've tried to do this in the past three days. Four? Yeah, four, well, Friday. it's four for me, because we did try to record it with Eliza on Tuesday as well, and it's just been a, a cavalcade of technical and other disasters stopping this episode coming out. And it, then it becomes this bit of a barrier, too, because it is a there's a lot to cover right now. There is. Um, there's the BLM protest, which is a huge, huge issue. There is how the federal government is dealing with ending the programs that it did have during COVID-19 to help people whilst finding more money that it shouldn't ah. find to give to the rich people. Like, yeah. uh, it's supposedly... Basically, they're using the crisis and the economic problems that people are facing uh, in a way to punish people they don't like and reward people who don't need the help. Well, it's it's like you can take uh, Scummo's thing from the last election of if you have a go, you get a go, to just if you have, you get. Yeah. Which it always was. Like, yeah. the a go was always... It's always the nonsense thing that people who have a lot clearly have worked hard yeah. to deserve it. because It the, has nothing the, to do with being born into it or privilege or any of that other stuff. Well, the people with the most wealth have not worked substantially harder than the people with the least. Like, it's not, it's not the reality. the stories that never get told. You never get... Um, you never get told the stories about the person who was born into wealth and just walked into it and everything was fine. You get told the stories of the person who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. They, you know, worked really hard. They got a scholarship. They overcame, you know, all of these issues. Yeah, the extraordinary outliers who are in no way representative of the vast bulk of people at either end. And that is actually impossible for the vast bulk of people to even achieve. Yeah, no, it's, it's the fiction. It's the, our vast wealth is justified because we have deserve it somehow and uh don't look into that too closely just just we'll find some propaganda that makes it up anyway so that's the thing that we need to talk about because it's not just that his finding was 700 million dollars to give to rich people for renovations which is extraordinary but also that he is cutting the childcare, he is cutting the the social security back so that it's going to be back to below poverty again Mm. and Basically, anything that was positive that was being done, they're running it back as fast as possible because they do not want... Because fundamentally, they didn't like doing those things in the first place. They were kind of forced into them. Yeah. Um, but things like here... you know, There's so many things if you wanted to help this construction industry that you could do other than just giving a grant to wealthy people to renovate their house. And, and scum is out there pretending that you know, $150,000 renovation, it's 
it's just normal. Most yeah. of us don't. You know, the median, what did he say? The average was 164,000. Yeah. yeah, I don't need to do the average rather than median too. Yeah. Because the average will be massively inflated by the very expensive... High-end <laughs> stuff, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's just one of the many things to discuss this week. Yeah, the biggest thing and the most disturbing thing, of course, is that even when Indigenous people and allies of Indigenous people around the country have stood up and said... This is an op- This is a moment where, because of what's happening overseas, there's focus on the issues mm-hmm. facing minorities, particularly black minorities, mm-hmm. in Western countries. This is the time to highlight that situation in Australia, and that has been responded to in the most dismissive, host- demeaning, uh, hostile, deliberately obtuse, and deliberately sort of putting those furfies in and... and bad faith. Yeah, Every, the response so been, bad faith. So everything from Scummo trying off the, oh, we don't need to import that stuff here, like Australia doesn't have a horrific history of violence against Indigenous people. And before we get further into this, I'll just say that we are two white people having this discussion. Yeah, so fundamentally there's a huge problem with this podcast not having an Indigenous person on it when we're discussing this. There's a problem with it overall that we haven't really had uh, an Indigenous guest host. That's a matter that I'm trying to address and we're trying to find yeah. some other people too. It's that Indigenous voices shouldn't be have, having to do stuff on a podcast with white people on it. Like if they're, we should be promoting Indigenous-led podcasts as well. So we're open to suggestions of Indigenous podcasts that we should be promoting and so forth as well. I, I think part of it is that Indigenous voices aren't really coming out through this medium and that's something that we should be all addressing but certainly in terms of that we try to have a broad spectrum of people on the podcast from different backgrounds and so forth we don't currently have it's still a fairly white podcast yes uh, and and that's not a good thing and it's more to do with the bubble that we are in in, in this particular corner of australia and, uh, it's, and it's something we're looking to address and fix yes so we acknowledge that up front so <laughs> let's be, be being very clear uh, we are in no way dismissing the experience of Indigenous people. We don't want to be speaking for Indigenous people. This commentary is more to do with critiquing the bullshit responses of the people in power, which I think is something that, that we can certainly do and should be doing. Absolutely. And so, so yeah, we have Scummo out there declaring that this that uh, slavery is not real. It was a pretty brutal place, but there was no slavery in Australia. She's had oh, to walk yeah. back. Slavery, Australia well, doesn't have sort of walked back. Well, that's right. So he does his nonsense, if you're offended, apology, apology. And just in terms of your comments yesterday about Australia not having had slavery, do you regret those comments and do you accept that we have seen those actions here in Australia, that First Nations Australians have been very upset to hear you make those remarks? I've always said we need to look at our history. What the comments I was referring to was to how the New South Wales settlement was first established and the views uh, that were communicated at the time in forming the New South Wales colony. And if you go back to people like William Wilberforce and others, they were very involved in that first fleet expedition. And one of the principles was to be that Australia, or in that case New South Wales, uh, was, was not to have um, lawful slavery. And that was indeed the case. There, there was not the laws that have ever um, approved of slavery in this country. So I, I don't intend to get into the history wars. My, my comments were not intended to give offence, and if they did, I deeply regret that and apologise for that. Um, but this is not about getting into the history wars. I was simply trying to make the point that Australia, yes, we have had issues in our history. We have acknowledged them. No, you didn't. That's not what you meant at all. No, no, he specifically was referring to a specific time in New South Wales when the colony was founded by a specific person that slavery was outlawed. He wasn't speaking about any of the other practices. 
It was a pretty brutal place, but there was no slavery in Australia. No, I don't remember him limiting it. Oh, weird. But but in his mind, he obviously limited it, really. And, and that was that was meant to be clear. And it's silly of you to have not realise that. So when he was responding to the protests highlighting uh, atrocities committed against Indigenous people throughout Australian history, yes. he responded by saying, no, that's not a thing that we've had. Yeah. But, but, but he... So he presented it as a rebuttal to the whole thing, but he really he was only rebutting if, if that thing had been very limited to a very limited... <laughs> that is such a bad faith. And, and, yeah, that is absolutely a bad faith defence. And he's trying to make it about this tiny little thing and not look at the entire history of Australia and everything we've done, which is interesting because the media is also pushing that it's all about blackbirding. It's all about what they did with Pacific Islander people, bringing them here to work in plantations, not paying them or underpaying them. They're completely ignoring indentured servitude slash slavery of indigenous people through generations of you know raising girls to be maids and boys to work on planta- on well plantations on farms and taking them away from their families to turn them into servants for white people yeah well here's an example of that his comments shocking those whose ancestors were part of a practice called blackbirding that saw more than 60,000 people brought to australia to work on sugarcane farms yeah, the way the media reported everything that's happened has been so misrepresentative of it. So if you're trusting the media to tell you what's going on, you think, oh, okay, he was wrong about slavery because of blackbirding, but not because of anything about Indigenous uh. people, because they just ignored Indigenous people. Slavery basically affected Indigenous people. And by the way, if anybody's interested about uh, the looking up some of that history, there was, there's an article on The Monthly from 2009 that somebody linked to him. Um, Facebook's morning, which was discussing the history of what had been done to Indigenous people in South Australia, particularly under the premiership of Alexander Downer's, I think, great-grandfather, John Downer, Sir John Downer, one of the figures leading the Federation. But anyway, all the atrocities that were basically happening there, where they basically sent out the pastoral, said, you need to occupy all this land, you need to kick all the people off to do it. Technically, you're supposed to let them come in and use the waterholes, but then they never enforced any of that. They just basically sent them off to be able to shoot them all, and, and the horrific massacres that occurred. That's horrible. And Alexander Downer's out, out there this week saying... Oh well, no. There's no. There's no slavery in Australia. His tweet was that, it, that slavery in the British Empire ended in 1833. And you're like, uh-huh. oh, I'm pretty sure that's 45 years after 1788 to start with. Yeah, um, and that's and that's such a disingenuous thing too. If you think of everything they did with their empire. Oh. Yeah, because once once they made it illegal, it definitely all stops. Yeah, exactly. Some indigenous people had rights, so they were yeah. protected. They had labour rights. And so suddenly, across the entire British Empire, all the people who were indentured, basically working on people's plantations, or forced into a system of poverty and uh, disadvantage. Labor, yeah. yeah, you know, they suddenly had rights. Absolutely. Uh, keeping in mind that his his you know great grandfather was the premier uh, and also the attorney general under before that totally not enforcing any of the basically uh, massively whitewashing a lot of the crimes that were being done these massacres which were well after 1833. Um, well, it's and it's interesting that even as these protests were happening here, the number of deaths in custody jumped because they realised that the reporting of them recording of them hadn't quite been correct, so it went from 422 to 427. And those numbers don't even count. So that's black deaths in custody. So for example, the five-month-old baby who died last weekend while after these the first one of these was happening that's horrible it's because horrifying. the police in it was Catherine I think it, it was in Catherine they took her mother away they left her in the care of the father and the grandfather who were intoxicated at the time the mother's pleading to take the baby yeah and they and didn't they, consider the welfare of the child no they just took her away they said oh you can come back in the morning yeah which point she was dead five-month-old child like there was no We'll get social welfare to come down and at least look after the baby if we're not going to take... It's not clear why she was taken to custody in the first place. And it's probably 
a lot of the times it's for such bullshit reasons, which again, we'll get to in the that five points to deal well, with things, but because the bullshit reasons of unpaid fines or small misdemeanors where people are arrested and sent to prison and... and well, white people aren't. We don't yeah. get trapped in jail for um, in the same way. It's... it's Applied. No, it's completely unbalanced. What they were saying in Queensland, uh, a study done a few in 2017 showed that 40% of the uh, public misdemeanor cases were uh, of Aboriginal descent and only 3.5% of Queenslanders were Aboriginal. Yeah, because you're giving the police a weapon that they can use with discretion, which they do applying their mm-hmm. racist biases. Yeah. And I do, fundamentally, so I will stick with the way the media have been covering this first. But as you say, there was a five-point proposal that were brought up by Indigenous groups and law reform groups and so forth as to genuine things that could be done to tackle this. And they are very concrete, specific things, but if you believe the way the media reported, it's just that the, they would, you would accept things that the Black Lives Matter was about adding a disclaimer to Gone with the Wind, or sorry, banning it is their version, and tearing down statues. Like, somebody mentions, yeah, we probably shouldn't have statues to racist figures who've committed atrocities, like Lachlan Macquarie. And then that suddenly turned into a a whole lot of white people being really upset about, you know, but if we tear down statues, like, we won't have any history because I've never heard of a book. Yeah. Well, actually, statues are the only way that we keep our history. And that's why we have statues to... Oh, I think it was, I think it was the, the shovel or uh, Batuta advocate that was suggesting that, oh, <laughs> there's a serial article about tearing down the statue to Ivan Milat that was in Blangalogo State Forest, and if we tear that down, we're not even going to remember who committed all those murders of backpackers now. Just the idea... We, really, do we not remember, you know, um, historical crimes that have been committed against Australians just because we haven't put up statues to the perpetrators? No, we remember plenty of historical things without putting up statues. Statues are not about remembering history. They're about celebrating people who the rich and powerful, when those statues were commissioned, liked and wanted to have celebrated. Statues are about celebration. They're not about remembering history. It's nonsense. What are you talking about? So, very specific plan. So, we've got... Scummo, who is not endorsing any of these, notwithstanding that he's out there saying that it's, it's not for lack of trying or lack of resources that we haven't made any achievement. And so this is a complex issue, David. There's no shortage of funds being thrown at this issue, but clearly the application of funds by governments over decades and decades and decades is not getting the results we want. I can assure you it's not through a lack of will. It's an admission of the complexity and the difficulty of the task. And he's in Parliament, and he's got Ken White, he's, he's Indigenous Affairs Minister in Parliament, saying that they're doing everything they possibly can, and they've got all these committees, and you really want to say, no, but what specific action have you taken? What specific... Oh, I've started a committee. What, what specific well, they, thing have you changed? we committed to closing the gap. But what specific thing have you done Look, to change it? Look, the National that? Cabinet is discussing it. No, but what specific thing have you actually done? Well... Actually, we have five specific things here. That they could do. That, that they could do. That more than 100 legal services and other organizations have issued this five-point plan. And the first one, repeal punitive bail laws, mandatory sentencing laws, and decriminalize public drunkenness. So that's a thing that states would have to do, but there's no reason why the National Cabinet couldn't commit to that right yep. now. Like, punitive bail laws, so using bail as a, as a way of enforcing compliance, mandatory sentencing, taking the ability of judges to determine the, an appropriate... Um, mechanism for sentencing take into account the situation of a, of a person where like you know a fine of a thousand dollars which mandatory sentencing is more is not is a different discretion you're right so mandatory sentencing is like locking people up for x amount of time um 
without taking into account the impact on their family, on the, the community, community. You know, whether there are more... It, it, locking people up too in a system that is, in, you know, prison system that's incredibly racist and harmful to Indigenous people in the first place. Mm. So instead of considering other options that might redirect somebody if they were a serious offender into ways of... Of not offending in the future and rebuilding things. No, our system is like, no, they need to go to jail for all this time. Yep. Yeah, that's get, stop doing that. That's an appalling idea. And decriminalise public drunkenness. That is one hundred percent a weapon police use to attack Indigenous people and to yes. chuck them in jail. Just decriminalise it. Yeah. Then, well, because that's the thing. Like you know, the white kids walking up the street don't get pulled over and the fines are thrown into jail or picked up for that. No. Uh, and and. You, you can decriminalise public drunkenness without, you know, and you could still deal with somebody who was being violent and aggressive or something. Because Absolutely. those things would still be a problem, a crime. Yeah. But the problem is that the police don't have to prove any of that. They can just chuck you in jail if you're drunk, if they think you're drunk. Yeah. And they do that disproportionately, hugely so, to Indigenous yeah. people. And that's despicable. And that's a straightforward thing that the states and territories could commit to. Well, this one actually seems a lot more complicated. The second one, okay. Yeah, they could stop imprisoning Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and raise the age of legal responsibility from 10 to 14 years. Again, that's the states, but yeah, they 100% could do that. Wait, 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 but how, how, like, uh, uh, how could they do that? By passing the law to raise this age of legal responsibility from 10 oh, to 14. Oh, weird, weird. Yeah. That's, that's, that's <laughs> just, oh, here, here I thought it was really complicated. Yeah, and I think I think the next lot are the, are the huge ones that really need to change. And I yeah. think with everything we've seen from the police, and we'll talk about... The... Well, the first two are things that are small changes, that are small legislative changes that could really help. And I suppose you could fit in within there as well the end of the, sol- the fifth one, which is end the solitary confinement of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in police and prison cells through legislative safeguards and by setting up independent bodies to monitor the conditions of treatment of people detained. Yeah. So 100% that could and should be done. Solitary confinement is it just... Horrible. To begin with. <laughs> And the next, in fact, that one and the next two are fundamentally one of the huge things that you need to do is have independent oversight because the cops do not monitor other cops. And that's, we can talk about, let's get on to police brutality and the protest against it and the fact that the police, even when the world's attention is on the police, brutality couldn't even hold off on police brutality for a couple of weeks. But isn't that one of the biggest, most defining reasons, problems with police? That they are really bad at investigating themselves. Yes. They they are trained from the beginning to back each other up, yeah. and they will not turn on each other when each other do horrible, horrible things, well, commit crimes, brush, abuse their power. They don't turn on them. So you need independent investigation. Yeah. So that is the point. Legislate for independent investigation of deaths in custody and the resourcing of independent police oversight bodies. And finally, implement all recommendations from the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, the Australian Law Reform Commission's Pathways to Justice Report, and the countless independent investigations, coronial inquests, and reports that have been published in the three decades since. Yeah. Now, there is no reason why the National Cabinet shouldn't be on that. There's no reason yep. why the Prime Minister couldn't be leading on that. Um, and instead, he's like, we're going to talk about some... Yeah, the, <laughs> the only person talking about this... Um, other than these groups, is uh, Pat Dodson. And he's on the ABC and Guardian talking about these things. But he's, you know, a senator from the opposition. He, The government should be leading on these. This is simple. This is the backing of so many, so many well-respected groups. And so what Scummo's approach been? Instead of doing that, Scummo's approach has been, well, here he is just before he was describing how, oh, it's very serious and very sad. Here he is responding to this, uh, the concerns about police treatment and authority treatment of indigenous people this is how he twists it we're aware of the the heartbreaking stories within remote indigenous communities of abuse 
of sexual violence, of alcoholism, of drug abuse. It's heartbreaking, but it's true. We want to have an honest discussion about what's happening in communities. You can't ignore those facts either, and it's chronic, and it is enough to bring any Australian to their knees in tears. Get fucked. That <laughs> That's just awful. It's such... Uh... Well, it's diversion and it's a racist trope. It's a misdirection. It's like, instead of us focusing on stuff that we're responsible for, what, what about if we just told you that actually it's their own fault? Exactly. And never look at the fact that people are in many ways victims and subject to the system that we have put them into that consistently disadvantages them and have set up these huge barriers in their lives that can lead to these issues. Like, let's ignore that. Let's ignore our part in that. Let's ignore that from our arrival here in this country, we have systemically screwed these people over. Yeah, and, no, and none of our efforts to do anything about it are, are ever constructive. They're always... Paternalistic. Well, they're, and in fact, what, what the well, liberals did... So, <laughs> where, you know, John Howard and Tony Abbott's statues have been vandalized. Oh, no. <laughs> Not their statues. Oh, there's actually busts in, in Ballarat. I don't know if that had anything to do with Black Lives Matter. Or it may have been to do with the fact that Ballarat is still pretty pissed off with both of them being big supporters of George Pell. But anyway, um, so Howard did that intervention where he basically sent the army in on the back of... What Morrison is promoting, which was always bullshit. Isn't which the were... army not supposed to operate on Australian soil? Well, I, I have some doubts about the way it was implemented against Indigenous people. And, of course, I had to repeal chunks mm. of the legislation that's supposed to have that's supposed to protect Indigenous people from being discriminated yeah, against so they could specifically pass racist laws, like, by definition racist, because they only applied to people of Indigenous descent. They passed racist laws, taking away the freedoms that, that the rest of us have in relation to these people based on a bullshit report in, uh, I think it was Four Corners, it was, it was uh, asserting, massively inflating and asserting, making all these a- allegations about child sexual abuse and things, which was oh, NBA, has basically been used as a blood libel against Indigenous people ever since. And Morrison's repeating it, and he's something. We had... This is just another version of we are cruel to refugees because we are saving them from drowning. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you can like, pretend to... They are using this thing, and they're twisting it to make it, oh, we're doing it for their own good. We're locking them up in island gulags and dragging them back to sea in leaky boats because we're helping them. Yeah, no, we're concerned about them drowning and that's why we drag them out to sea. It's never ser- it's never genuine. It is always in bad faith. And and in fact, I was just the, the um wasn't this one the one that Kerry and Kennelly was spouting about her? Yep. She was spouting her that, and was that that must have also been to, to do with the protest against uh, mistreatment of indigenous people because of the and she's like, Oh, have any of these people gone and, and worked with that them? That was I remember going to those rallies in Sydney and the march and I remember her being on the news being like, What the hell? Yeah, that, <laughs> no, Kerry and Kennelly, I try to block oh, yeah, her. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people can't block these things out and people don't have the privilege of being able to block these things out and not listen to them. People get this stuff spouted at them every day of their life and it's that's what uh, that's the, basically it's kind of like a dog whistle that Morrison is going with there because he knows that when he makes those remarks his audience who are resentful about indigenous people in the first place are looking for an excuse to throw back at people it's their own fault it's the same thing in America where they're all like they, they come up with these bullshit fake statistics claiming that black people in America are killed more by each other than by cops and they fudge a bunch of statistics they try and compare cops killing armed white males with cops killing yeah. unarmed black males. They, they basically fudge them all around the place and then they, they try and claim that black-on-black black violence is, the, is a big um, issue. And the, the basis of that is they can then 
pretend that the very things that are causing harm to black people, the brutal over-policing, it's not even over-policing, the brutal abuse of police powers yeah. by people with badges, are basically used... Which basically, exists here, too. Yeah, basically terrorising black people. They use that as an excuse to say why that's justified. In fact, that very bad thing, there should be more of it because it's saving them from themselves. Oh, it is. Um, so Morrison doing that is really feral. He's dog-whistling to the people who are looking for an excuse to not care. Though sometimes there does seem to be a tiny bit of comeuppance for people who make these racist claims and uh, have some of this vilification, especially people who do it in the press. Well, we'll see if you're you're referring to the um, Prue McSween, Sunrise, Samantha Armitage being sued for racial vilification over the over the the segment in which I think it was like 2018 or so, yeah. in which they were basically declaring for another stolen generation. Oh yeah, because it would be for their own benefit if we took Aboriginal children away from their families. Yeah, they, they're these, horrible. They're horrible people. Racial lies, these racist lies, these racial slurs never die. They keep they coming back. It's, and here we have the prime minister doing it right now. Yep. And if it wasn't Australia being racist and having these huge racist tropes that people in power can keep digging on mm. to harming Indigenous people, everybody from the prime minister down to the media, if it wasn't just the bad faith of misrepresenting every uh, everything that's being actually called for, and yep misrepresenting everything that people actually... That you're even misrepresenting what the history of, of the country is. Yeah. We also have that... Oh, but that's okay because Peter Dutton did say that he doesn't want the country's history misrepresented. He thinks we need to look at the all parts of it, the bad parts and the good parts, which means in keeping those statues in Captain Cook. Well, because I'm willing to bet that if you try and put up any of the... have actually you know, curriculum that covers the actual atrocities, the frontier wars... Oh, no, 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 no you're not allowed to change your history books. He also said that. What about if history books are ignoring nope. a big chunk of history and misrepresenting no, history? No, no, what they're doing is they're dealing with the Australian history as he likes it. Oh. So, well, okay, that's the, the nation's top corrupt cop. Here, Here is, not, um, uh, do I say allegedly? Do I, is he allegedly corrupt? I mean, I'm not alleging any specific corruption, just the general, you know, <laughs> excessive power and uh, the, the abuse that he's, you know, what he's done to refugees, I consider yeah. an, an abuse of those powers. Anyway, so the nation's cops. So, uh... <laughs> It is astonishing to me that the people... Okay, so I suppose it does make sense that the people who are running the cops and the people who are you know, trying to make this about statues and, and you know, saw the New, <laughs> the New South Wales cops surrounding the Captain Cook statue because that's about... You know, we can't, can't get them out there to defend uh, indigenous people from assaults or, or women from assaults or actually... There's so many so much under-policing, but we can certainly get them marching up the streets doing white power... Sorry... Uh, I didn't know it was a white power size. Yeah, I was just happening to do an okay with my fingers. With, with, it was shortly after the, the um, one in Victoria. Yeah, like, police don't know what that means. And he wasn't just, like, casually doing it. He was doing it right up at the camera. Um, he didn't intentionally... Oh, then they changed it. He did not intentionally make a gesture that could be deemed offensive. <laughs> he just accidentally made it. Does anybody genuinely think the cops investigate themselves and that they, they, they genuinely are restrained by each other? Does anybody really think that? Has anybody ever met cops who thinks that? The no. the fact that when the eyes of the world are on them, and they first of all they tried to suppress any of the uh, Black Lives Matter protests in the first place, and then they failed that in the first total, and then there were the protests last weekend, and then this week they've managed to get another order suppressing them, and they're using COVID nineteen as an excuse. And that's that's the other point I wanted to make about Scamo when he's sending the messages. So he's not just sending the message that, oh, no, actually, don't have to worry about it. It's, it's really black-on-black black crime that's the, the issue. And we've also seen the message sent very clearly by Scummo that protests for Indigenous rights and protests against police brutality, they're not legitimate, and they need to be shut down in the name of COVID-19. Yeah. But moments earlier, he'll be like, we need to reopen the country. We need to reopen the economy. And in and a like, few weeks, we're going to start having 10,000 people in a stadium that could hold 40,000, and that's totally okay. 
and you know two or three weeks ago in the at the height of the pandemic he's like oh those anti-lockdown protesters who are from the right you know it's, it's fine for them to be out there so what's your what's your what's your reaction to the scenes of protests on the streets in melbourne and sydney over the weekend of people wanting things to open up sooner and and uh, that uh, level of civil disobedience well, i understand people's frustration deal with, I think, the anxieties and frustrations that they're feeling. It's a free country. People will make their protest and make their voices heard. Which is doubly interesting considering that ASIO is now reporting that far-right extremism is blossoming and blooming under this COVID condition and that there's heaps happening and that they really need to come down on it. Fanned by dog whistling from assholes in the media and, the, and in politics like scumbo. Mm. But how, it's just extraordinary that he can be like, from what? It's, it's even in the same press conference, he's like, no, we need to open up the country. No, no, they must not do protests. Rallies and protests that are planned for this weekend, the medical advice hasn't changed. Um, the medical advice is that this is a, an unsafe thing to do. It puts not only your own health at risk, but it puts other people's lives at risk. It, it puts the, in an economic terms, because of the potential risk of a wave that can come from these events, it puts the livelihoods of other Australians at risk, people's businesses. It puts the progress that we've been able to make at risk. And the very clear message is that people should not attend those events because it is against the health advice to do so. And so I would strongly encourage people to exercise that responsibility by not attending those events and to respect their fellow Australians uh, by exercising that responsibility. And there's a huge difference between, if you're, if you're concerned about COVID-19, there's a huge difference between how the protesters, the BLM protesters have dealt with it, which is taking it very seriously, wearing masks, being genuinely concerned about it. They, nobody from the BLM protest side is unconcerned about COVID-19 and the effect. Uh, they, they don't want to spread it. Yep. Nobody is saying that it's not a risk. They're just saying that not protesting and not taking this opportunity to fight against these real problems is also a risk. We're weighing up two risks. This is a risk. That is a risk. How do we make them work? Yes. Um, if, and can we minimise that risk in order to highlight... I mean, if Scumbo was genuinely concerned about the, 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 the risk from these protests, he could do actually something concrete to address the concerns rather than just misrepresenting them. And pretending... What? I, I, I just, I'm so, still trying to get over the press conference where he, he just ignores black deaths in custody and police brutality towards indigenous people and, and all the examples, which is what the protesters are actually complaining about and tries to pretend that it's about a totally different issue. It's just shameless. But yeah, so obviously everybody listening to this will be aware, um, I'm guessing, of what happened at the end of the Sydney protests last weekend, being that they went to the central station, protesters who were at the central station, the police kettled them all together, and then demonstrating how much concern they had for the spread of COVID-19, the police who weren't wearing masks, put them all in a small space, sprayed them with OC spray that causes you to cough and splutter and spread bodily fluids... Yeah. So they were so concerned about the spread of COVID-19 that that's what they did. And yes, their media allies are just lying about it. Meantime, New South Wales police have defended their decision to use capsicum spray on demonstrators at the rally in Sydney CBD. Police say while the protest was mostly peaceful, after it broke up, some officers were kicked, punched and spat on. Protesters clashed with police at Central Station after the main rally and capsicum spray was deployed when a group of people allegedly became aggressive. One protester was arrested. 
That is not what happened. That is they, the the way the the person that they arrested. They they come in to grab. That wasn't the, the, the footage shows that they were not being assaulted. There wasn't anything other than chanting happening prior to them deciding to deploy OC spray. The OC spray was clearly deployed punitively. Yes, they, it, they, abso- it absolutely was. Like they closed Town Hall Station to t- try to deter people, which forced everyone into Central, and then everyone was spacing and they're waiting for trains, and they started blocking the exits and blocking the gates and like corralling people. Like corralling is the correct word because that's what they were doing. They were treating people oh, like cattle. Kettling. They were kettling. Oh. That, 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 that the thing where you push them in. That, that the police tactic for. I, I did not know that that was a word, but there you go. That's terrifying. But yeah, and so they they did this horrible thing. They created the situation, and then they got all offended that people got mad at them and it's funny because if you look at some of the photos taken from the crowd of people who are being corralled like the anger and the disgust in the police faces as they're like forcing the people in is it's terrifying and there's no again who is who is, they force people onto their knees who is policing the police yeah. who will police the police oh Coast Guard. So well, they're they're policing themselves, which they obviously. are. And that's fundamentally all the whole the whole ACAB thing, the whole all cops cops are bastards stuff. Fundamentally is, and you you know, you don't don't have people protesting against the fire department. You don't have people protesting against you know ambos. Like it is specifically the police, and there is a reason. Oh, you're, you're looking up for the quotes from Terry Pratchett <laughs> uh, about about over policing. But, but fundamentally, we have we train our police to think that it's them against the world, that they're the thin blue line between mm. a society and chaos. And we train them to think of any cops who stand up against other cops as rats. We train them from the from the you know from the first academy days. Yeah. To like the, these are the cops you know, that the people who report on other cops, they're the villains. You see it in the popular culture. Ah, oh, goddamn internal affairs is on my back when I'm just trying oh, to gosh. save the city from these criminals. Yeah, it's it's constantly they're they're the villains. Internal affairs, the people who investigate the cops are the are the villains. Yeah, no, there, there's a quote in uh, from Terry Pratchett from Sam Vimes. He asked you to shoot at people who weren't shooting back, growled Vimes, striding forward. That makes him insane, wouldn't you say? They were throwing stones, Sarge, said Colin. So, stay out of range. Yeah. The, the police... There's quite a few quotes like that where where he's like, I'm not army. We're, we're here. We're part of the community. We're not separate from the community. And that's what, that's the idea of what it should be. It should be part of the community, not separate from the community. And also, it shouldn't be doing all the tasks that they're doing. They shouldn't yeah. be sending police in to do basically what social workers should be doing. They shouldn't no. be sending police in to do... Or... Know, cal- they should have police with social workers. They should have social workers going in to do those jobs and if needed, like working together as a team, but not being the only people doing all of this stuff. And of all those five recommendations, the two most obvious and straightforward ones being get rid of these summary offences that basically the police can use to imprison indigenous people, basically beat, bully people with. They don't need it. The, the threshold for proving them is really low. Public drunkenness doesn't need to be a crime. Begging doesn't need to be a crime. Homeless, like all these things that the police can use to basically punish people who are homeless and poor, stop them being crimes. But most fundamentally of all, the biggest thing that needs to happen in terms of the police is independent oversight, mm. not the police investigating themselves. Another totally separate branch that isn't, has no connections with it, that is supported by by a government that has the resources it needs. You need a culture. You need to be reviewing what's happening at police academies. You need to be having it as a big part of the curriculum. That if you you're a cop, if you see other cops doing the wrong thing, it's your duty. You're doing, sorry, not just it's your duty to the public yeah. to report them and to stop that behaviour. It's your duty to your colleagues. Why is it your duty to your colleagues? Because a lot of the hostility that you face out in the community is because of 
when I like the cops pretending that there's only a few bad apples. But okay, in, yeah. their, in that dialogue, the bad apples are increasing the risk to you. Yes. People who've experienced bad cops are going to look... They're going to occupationally profile you. They're going to go, look, there's a person wearing the same uniform as the person who beat up my friend or oh. beat me up. I will respond to that person as if they were the same. You know, the cops do like to do racial profiling? Well, they, maybe they can understand that profiling goes back again. The more bad apples doing bad shit, the more that the good cops will be seen in the same way, if there are any cops, which obviously... Mm. The lack of bad cops being called out by their colleagues does seem to undermine the claim that there are good cops. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I remember reading a story about a year ago uh, about a black cop in America who was out of uniform and was basically held up by gunpoint by some other cops from the same city because... They didn't believe that he was a police officer. They didn't believe that he he was black, and they racially profiled him, and they were just you know had a gun to his head. And were I've basically... literally seen footage during the protests of them doing that to an FBI agent, an undercover, yeah. sorry, a, a black FBI agent, where they just, you got these two really dumb cops just. <laughs> but um, speaking of summary offenses and that, how that's a change, there is something you can do to help just generally. The Free Her campaign is still working. It's uh, sistersinside.com.au and it deals primarily with Western Australia, but it deals with women especially who get jailed to pay off their fines for these summary offenses. So check them out online and check out the work they do. That is, if, if you're looking at a place to donate some funds to um, help Indigenous people, that's a place. Uh, Aboriginal uh, legal services in your state, fantastic as well. Oh, jailing um, people for fines is also not a neutral thing in the first place no. because if you're a rich person and you get a fine, yeah. just pay it. Well, that's why fines, are, fines are such bullshit and we've discussed this previously on the podcast. Fines are such bullshit things anyway because they're a set, set value and see here in this country, I think in Finland or somewhere, they're not a set value. They're a proportionate value to your wealth. So if you get, say, a speeding fine for going, you know, 20 kilometers over the limit and you make a lot more money, it's going to be a lot higher than if you get one in your... You know, working at uh, a servo. Well, this, this is a problem with mandatory sentencing in the first place, where you take the discretion away from the judge to yeah. consider what's happened. So, mandatory license losses yeah. that, that apply. That's not the same punishment for somebody who lives in inner Melbourne, not with, on a tram line, yeah. to somebody who lives on a, in a remote community where yeah. there's no public transport. Or if there is, there's like one bus that goes around the city once an hour, and those it's are never not the same punishment. <laughs> no, the same it's offense. not. Those are wild. Because what you're doing is you're taking away someone's ability to get to their job. You're taking away somebody's ability to have any social network. You're you're cruelly punishing people so much. And their families. Yeah. Like if you can't take, take into account that somebody's you know responsible for taking their child to a doctor. Yeah. Like if you can't take that into account, that's in, that's un, injustice. Anyway, yeah. so yeah. Uh, it is staggering to me that the cops couldn't even stand back and go, yeah, no, like they could, like if they had any sense, they could have sort of fudged through it. They should have, could have let the protests happen. They could have facilitated the social distancing stuff. They could have just well, shown, they could have used this. So if you, there's all this pent up rage at what cops have been getting away with all these years. This is the moment. The world's focus is on it. Why, why the hell were the cops so dumb that they couldn't for even five minutes go, Okay, now our job right now, while everybody's looking at us, is to look like the most reasonable, kind, uh, not just rely on the, our mates in the media to be like, anybody coming to the protest is, is risking the, the virus, and we don't have to rely on our mm. mates in the media. We can actually go beyond that. What we've got to do is for like two or three weeks, stand back, be really supportive of uh, what we say publicly, which is the, the people's yeah. right to protest. We make sure that none of us are going to be show, doing anything that 
cast bad light on the police. Why don't but, we go out and why don't we draw some some chalk outlines on the ground and say you can have 20 people in this space and 20 people in this space. And chalk then, marks rather than yeah, outlines. Yeah, sorry, but you know what I mean, but big chalk squares. Um, or do what they do did in Darwin yesterday for the Darwin things where they were... Uh, collecting contact details and uh, the health services were taking temperatures of people who are arriving, asking people to take their temperature to uh, ascertain that they were well enough to be there. Yeah, imagine being the cops and being so dumb that you can't recognise that this is an opportunity to head off actual changes that you don't want. Like, the cops clearly don't want to have independent oversight. Mm. There's a lot of things that need to happen that the cops obviously don't want. But... If that was what they wanted, they wanted to avoid those things, it wouldn't have been that hard for them to just hold off on the brutality for a couple of weeks. Like, Which, (laughs) it it is actually really hard for them, because on the 28th of May, uh, at the Shepparton Police Station, an Indigenous man of Fijian descent basically was put put into uh, solitary confinement, and then he splashed some toilet water out of the toilet, and they came in, they put him in a headlock, five police officers restrained him, while one beat him up, he had a punctured lung and broken ribs. I'm sure sure at least some of those cops reported on the other cops for going over for all the violence. He then... Yeah. Uh, It then showed that uh, paramedics and police entered the cell 46 minutes after the incident, but the spokesperson said that it's okay because after he was brutally beaten and left on the floor, they called the ambulance 15 minutes later. So this is right in the middle of of the Black Lives Matter. So before before this week's protest, but... Not long, but like... But everything's happening in America. Everything's building up, and, and this happened. But this is yeah. the thing. Like, here are. Where are the good he cops? Was treated Which for, cops reported that? He was taken from Shepparton to the Royal Melbourne Hospital and treated for collapsed lung and broken ribs. But, but you know, you, can, you can't hold somebody back from splashing water without breaking their lung and ribs. Like, you just have to... Yeah. <laughs> there is no excuse, and they're still making excuses. This is a yeah. broke. Like if you've got, if any point you think, well, no, no, it's just a few bad apples. That's the system. Yeah. Where, where are the good cops standing up against that? Yeah, he was then charged. Huh? He was then charged with assault on police, resisting arrest, and acting prejudicial in a police jail. How is that even an offence? Acting <laughs> prejudicial in a police jail. Yeah, it's just it's preposterous. But yeah, twenty eighth of May. It was on ABC. I was. Just... Anyway, this is an ongoing thing. Clearly, the people in power are not going to even pay lip service to doing something about it until they are absolutely forced to, and unless they're absolutely forced to. So clearly, the protests need to continue. I now, in relation to the statues that they're pretending this is all about, the statues are a complete diversion and a misdirection. Oh, gosh, yeah. So is the Chris Lilly and Faulty Towers and Gone with the Wind crap. Like, none of those have... That's not what Black Lives protesters are protesting for. It's got nothing to do with it. Like... I don't mind that corporate uh, entities are looking and going, shit, we're just broadcasting racist propaganda about the South yeah. without any disclaimer or any kind of historical context. We're just like blatantly broadcasting racist shit. We should stop that. I don't mind people going, oh, okay, yeah, we should do something about it. But it's not because we're, we're forcing those because they're going, oh, yeah, actually, we've been dickheads. Yeah. But the statues thing, look, um, it, look, it's nice that old statues can get the kind of police protection that nobody else in the state can. A bit weird that they're protecting Cook. I mean, I would have, before you go for Cook, bloody hell, go for Macquarie. Macquarie's a, even far more a historical monster than Cook, although Cook is a historical monster as well. Yeah. 
But the photographs, if you haven't seen the photographs of New South Wales police just surrounding a statue, oh, like how long are they going to do that and for? And apparently they, at one point they all linked arms to, you know, create a barrier in their protection when there was really no one there except them and the media and about 20 protesters. Has anybody thought about the poor taxpayers that's in New okay. South Wales? That's like, okay. Apparently two women, they, they should have been there that whole time because apparently two 20-year-old women, 20-year-old women uh, defaced the statue last night and were arrested. They've already been arrested for defacing the, the, uh, the Hyde Park How many statue? of the cops who beat up that person in the cells have been arrested yeah none yeah um, um but and they were denied bail well i mean there are statues to be defended <laughs> what? What? and i love i love the idea too like you've got i think they because andrew bolt's like oh well, we're what when are you going to tear down the statues to box and i'm like if you can find some andrew yeah. be our guest and like and, uh, what's the other one somebody's like i think it was an american one somebody's like oh how would you like it if we went and tore down the statues of muhammad and like the muslim person responding to it is like as a Muslim person, feel free. If you can find any statues of Muhammad, please do tear them down. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you I, not actually not understand the iconography issues there? But anyway. Well, the part of the problem for them is that, that putting up statues is really a thing that rich, privileged, powerful people do. It's very much a right-wing thing to do. There aren't many... Putting up statues isn't really a lefty thing. No, it might be a powerful communist in Soviet Russia thing to do. They certainly had lots of statues, which I note... Have all been pulled down. Yeah. Have we forgotten? Well, actually, some may have gone up back now. But, but look, I'm perfectly happy for right-wing people if they can identify lefty statues to people who've been racist, misogynist, you know, committed crimes against other people throughout history. Tear them down. Yeah. I am more than happy for you to do that. I don't, I don't want statues up for people, for monsters. Because statues are not recording history. They are celebrating people. And again, this is one of those places where yeah. this is one of those places where Scamo has been immensely disingenuous because he goes, "Oh, I'm not concerned about these things. I want to build things up. Yes. I I don't want to tear. I'm I'm looking at what we're building. I'm looking at jobs, 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 jobs. I'm not interested in the debate about what people want to tear down. I'm interested in what people want to build up." And what we need to build back up are businesses and jobs. And we need to restore livelihoods and lives. And that's what he's been like throughout. He's constantly responding to any kind of thing that he doesn't like, whether he wants to shut down. He's saying that it's threatening lives, but he moves very quickly. Whenever he talks about human lives, he quickly gets onto jobs and businesses. It's like the most important... He can't... It's like his thing where he, he, won't, he won't let there be a, a um, welcome to country now without shoving in a bit about the troops, thereby diminishing that. He, same thing about when he me mentions human lives, which obviously he repeatedly is putting secondary to his uh, economic plan. Yes. He always... He can't even stop himself from going on talking about the impact on businesses. Well... He, th he thinks of businesses as being... People, or what more if, important than people. What if we had prison reform, and then think of those people who didn't have jobs? Well, I don't know. Independent police oversight would provide jobs. <laughs> but then Qantas couldn't have their uh, little packets put together cheaply by inmates. Yeah, well, yeah. well, let's get to the economic stuff. I do want to quickly mention that there have been ongoing protests in terms of the treatment of refugees, but the, <laughs> the police have managed to get those shut down. We can't have any, mm. any large-scale protests uh, for refugees. The organisers have tried a number of different methods to get around that. In Queensland, they had them as being... Uh, exercising. <laughs> exercise There's 20 people getting together to exercise. <laughs> and in Victoria, they were doing it through registering with them and sending sort of no more than 20 people to each side. So yeah. like Tudger's office or... Uh, or the hotel in North Melbourne that they were... 
doing things. Yeah. yeah. The idea that, that protesters have to... Yeah, the, the, look, the lefty protesters are genuinely trying to minimise the uh, virus risk. Yeah. Um, unlike the anti-lockdown protesters who didn't give a shit. And were just, no. like, they were the people who were saying that it was all a hoax. But they're fine. Apparently, they're not a, a, a risk of spreading it when they're getting together and don't actually practice any social distancing or don't even try to or don't even... They, don't, they pretend it's not even real. Anyway. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's the Venn diagram of people who were anti-lockdown and also anti-Black Lives Matters protests. Ah, oh, they can't... They're just... This is a big thing. It's a furphy. They can't keep us home. And they told you to stay home and it's unsafe. Like, it's, it's a circle. It's the exact same people. Well, actually, this week's episode is probably... I think I'm going to have to call it the Venn diagram is a circle because we've also got in relation to... Well, look, let's do this more minor thing next. And in fact, Cam has something to say about both. Hi there, Jeremy. It's Cam here with just a little one that's stuck in my craw this week. I did have a lot to say about Scott Morrison bemoaning the fact that Black Lives Matters protesters were importing slavery, a foreign concept, into the local marketplace of ideas and... uh, just the complete disregard for all reality and history that that demonstrated. But it got a bit angry and it wasn't very fun to listen to. You can probably hear a hint of that here. Now, just a little thing that got stuck in my craw this week were the Queen's birthday honours. Not the honours themselves. I'm not especially fussed by them. But specifically one bit of reportage, which was that all of these honours were being given to a cavalcade of Liberal National Party ghouls, and then it was noted almost as a consolation prize that one honour had been given to a Labour Party person, and that person was Graham Richo Richardson, and to that all I can say is no thank you, you can keep him, we don't want him. And that is what is stuck in my craw. Because if I said any more, Jeremy would have to cut it out anyway, because it would be highly defamatory. Bye. Oh my god, yes. Uh, Richardson receiving a Queen's birthday honour. Richardson being the, the a former ALP uh, minister under Hawke and Keating, uh, who is now a far-right talking head on Sky. What is the documentary you had me watch? Labour in Power? Yeah. yeah he's on, in on that, that, isn't he? He is. He's yeah. the, he's the uh, Labour Environment Minister who who, who saves Hawke. Found the environment. The, behind the couch when they were about to lose the election uh, and then, of course, betrayed the environment movement shortly thereafter and he's now arriving talking about the sky. Yes, him being put out as like, oh, look, unless you got an award. Appalling. But yes, Queen's Birthday Horrors. Let's talk about those. Now a week old and we were... <laughs> as, as every recording of this podcast gets pushed away, it gets less and less relevant. But it is worth mentioning in passing that the Australian Day Honours just gave the highest award in the country to Tony Abbott. Oh, for... his service to Indigenous people and refugees? Yeah, it's border control. Border control, <laughs> sorry, not his service to refugees, his border control and service to <laughs> Indigenous people. The idea that either of those are meritorious is just breathtaking. Uh, and and when we're talking about the Venn diagram is a circle, uh, as, as pointed out, the people who are defending Abbott getting this on the basis that well, it doesn't matter if you love, you know, think what he did was good or not, but he was Prime Minister, and Prime Ministers, you know, should be getting this award. What? For participation as Prime Minister? Yeah. Like, the Venn diagram of people who complain about participation trophies and run the shouldn't they get it automatically for being Prime Minister is a circle. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the people who got that award, Ruddick, Pizzolo from the, the Department of 
of, of immigration. The architect of so many brutal things against refugees. It, it's a horrible, horrible list. It's uh, the Queen's birthday dishonors. Unfortunately, as as just as we've discussed pri- uh, off this podcast, they give enough awards to legitimate people to legitimize their giving awards to their friends, basically. Yes. Well, actually, we haven't discussed on this podcast. It's a concept that I came up with, a, dis- a point I came up with, with Eliza when we were recording on Tuesday. So it has... With, so let, let's... Can I, can I, yes, fundamentally, you've got the powerful and rich giving themselves awards. Yes. Um, to their mates. Like, this is 100% that. And huge number of, of um, conservative people on the committee. Uh, and obviously, it's the government who ultimately decides um, where they're going to go. And then they go to the Queen to approve. But, yeah, if, if you're the rich and powerful giving themselves awards for how great they are, they would have little value in the yeah. community. The community would look at them as, like, as laughable, you know, further rorts, pigs, so, snouts in the trough. So they use the community. That's right. So the standard take on it is that giving an award to someone like Tony Abbott, and, you know, no matter what excuses I make for him, he was Prime Minister, or he's a volunteer firefighter. A lot of volunteer firefighters don't get the award. You don't get it for just being those things. You have to have done something special. And in fact, here's the Governor-General describing what they're supposed to do. In the award system, we see all the positives that are in our community. We see the great ideas, we see the hard work, we see the love and compassion uh, for fellow human beings. Uh, All that can be seen in just one investiture ceremony so it's you know it's a microcosm of australia and so what this list will do will recognize another group of outstanding australians who have made a contribution to either community to australia globally to australia uh, domestically uh, and we want to recognize them this is a system that's driven by nominations by the people by your peers so this is people in your community saying that person is doing an excellent job to sustain, build, unite, develop our community. And I think that should be recognised. So the standard response to that is, yes, it devalues the value of these, these awards for the people who genuinely have earned them. But I think that the bigger point, and the one that I haven't heard made, except you just made it before you heard me discuss it. But yeah, I'm, I am, I'm taking credit for this point. But the, yeah. the point is, that's looking at the awards as a thing that's there to promote the community work and that it's just a coincidence that the people at the top often seem to get them. Whereas I think a much more realistic approach is that the people in the community who have earned them are there to buy the awards legitimacy. Yeah. They get credibility. Each of the awards for the people up the top, like Tony Abbott, get the credibility and they don't and they're not seen just too much as snouts in the trough stuff because you have worthy members of the community getting them as getting well. Getting them as well. So and they're think- being used. This is not just like they're, they're having their achievements devalued. And I don't think they were designed that way, but I think that's what's happened. What's happened, I think initially, I think they were designed for the idea of recognizing the community, but I think over time it's flipped and it's become the other way. I'm, that, I'm going to be more cynical than that because the people who come up with these awards in the first place, keep, what's the history of, of, the, of awards from the Queen, knighthoods and so forth? It's the rich and powerful giving them to their mates. True. It's always been. Their entire history was... Service the to pe- the British Empire. That's right. And now... AKA, in order- a lot of times it was a lot of money or a lot of men in an army or that sort of thing. And how did it fudge to being given to commoners? Because the view of the commoners became a bit more, hang on, why are we funding this this crap? You're just giving them to your mates. So, yeah, no. I I will 100%... I don't think this is a wacky conspiracy theory. I think that the rhetoric is that these are for deserving people and to bring them up and to publicise their achievements. But if that was the case, the people at the top wouldn't be getting it. Prime ministers wouldn't get them at all. There's no reason for the people at the top to get them. They've already got all the money and power and influence and recognition. They already have that. They do not need the state to be giving them something to make up for it. 
those things. But they want it. They do want it, and they want it to have some credibility. And the only way it gets credibility is by, and I'm, I'll use this word, using. That these people who have done genuine, genuinely powerful work for the community have genuinely put themselves out, sacrificed themselves, who've done good things for others. They're being these these awards are an insult. They are using them to try and get give give stuff Which to themselves. Is why are more and more people, especially in the UK, uh, you have people declining the knighthood? You know, like yeah. I'll offer you OB, no, thank you. It should, it should, it's a shameful thing. They, those, yeah. The other thing I'd say, too, about the, the deserving people who get these awards, have, have a look at what they've actually done and how many of them are making up in the community for stuff that governments should be doing. Oh God, They're doing so charities much. and things that are, should be responsibilities of government and specifically things that governments like Tony Abbott's with the, the, that horrible 2013 budget yeah. slashing... Uh, well, 2014, I think. The, the, the um, Abbott hockey budget that was slashing public funding of things. Yeah, that absolutely so, cuts the safety net to ribbons. Yeah, so much of this work is looking after the poor. They shouldn't be poor. There yeah. should be a social safety net. There should be. The, the bottom line, nobody should be at risk of... Nobody should need a soup kitchen. These are things that... The, they, nobody should be at risk of starving. Yeah. So much of the stuff that people, these people are doing to uh, that the, the government's recognising is it's an added insult to injury. They're not just being used to give these people like Tony Abbott this extra credibility, but their very work... Yes. is being used to make up for the slashing. The, the, basically, the people in power cut services for the poor to make themselves more money so they don't have to pay so much tax, give themselves more stuff, because it's always associated with tax cuts for the rich. They, they take money from the poor, then they sort of pat on the head the people who've gone to fill in the gap. Yes, it's well, a- exactly. Well, isn't it lovely? Isn't it lovely what they do? Isn't it lovely this new charity, this new social The system service? works. Yeah, isn't it lovely that they give food to people, that they give support to people, that they help people who who are chronically unemployed? I mean, what um, other system could be in place to look after those people? <laughs> a social safety net that we've cut holes in? Job seeker. All right, let's actually... Uh, now's probably the time to talk about the Centrelink stuff. So what they're cutting and so forth, they, we could, let's talk about that in just a sec. But the first thing is let's talk about the $1.5 billion that Scummo has had to concede that the government unlawfully took from the poor. Oh, and he apologised. Kind let's, of. Let's play Scummo's apology. And you, you see if anywhere in here... You feel that there's some confidence that they've learned their lesson and would never attack the poor like this again. Certainly, they wouldn't try to. Like, hang on, I can play the apology, but just just remember, this is government that that's big. What they thought was their achievement, what they were saying, the claim was their achievement was that they were had in the future going to have done a, a budget surplus. You know mm. that future tensing? We have got a surplus in the future. Yes. All right, that surplus. They was were going to be black and back in black next yes. year sometime. And of course, they never were, and they and they never were in, even before the crisis. But then they certainly went after the bushfires of COVID nineteen. But they weren't in the first place, and now they don't have to. Now they don't ever have to prove it because now they can just go, "Oh no, these unforeseen things happened." Like, <laughs> what? How handy! But keep in mind that the quote surplus that they were talking about was substantially less than one and a half billion dollars, which is the amount that they were stealing from people from RoboDebt. So, even their even on their own numbers, their claimed surplus was 100% built on stealing money from the very poor. Hooray! So, I will play Scummo's faux apology, and I will... I, I, the way that... The reason why I'm saying it's a faux apology, and you'll, you'll text it from in here. You tell me after listening to this on what basis you could have any confidence that the Liberals would not do this again if they thought they could get away with it. I refer to the Prime Minister's illegal robo-debt scheme. 
cancer-suffering grandfather Raymond had to sell his house and move into his shed to afford medical treatment. He says debt collectors ripped him to shreds over a $2,300 robo-debt while he was in hospital. Why won't the government apologise to Mr Murphy and thousands of other Australians who they hounded with their unlawful robo-debt scheme? The Prime Minister has the call. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'll ask the Minister for Government Services to add to the answer. Mr Speaker, the, the business of, of raising and, and recovering debts on behalf of taxpayers is, is a difficult job. And it deals with Australians in many very sensitive circumstances. And of course, I, I would deeply regret, deeply regret any hardship that has been caused to people in the conduct of that activity. The government has many difficult jobs that it has to do dealing with Australians in very sensitive circumstances, and that is true, particularly at this time. And it is our instruction that we would hope that all agents of the government, when pursuing the debt recovery option, that they would be sensitive to people's circumstances. And in relation to the particular gentleman that you referred to, um, that, that is a very distressing situation that you've raised. And I would apologise to any um, any hurt or harm in the way that the government has dealt with that issue and to anyone else who's find themselves in those situations. But the issue, Mr Speaker, is the one of showing how the government can best do this. And where there are lessons to be learned here, they will be learned. And that is what the Minister for Government Services is employing now. Saying that you're sorry for any harm that might have been caused is similar to those apologies like I'm sorry if you were offended by the thing that I said. It's not considering you did anything wrong. Yeah, it's not considering you did anything wrong. It's not taking any responsibility for what you did wrong. It's not saying, I'm sorry. I would do I'm sorry different. for the harm we caused. I'm sorry for what we did. There's no sincerity to it. Uh, and, and talking about, you know, people have to make hard decisions and do hard things. It's, it's just the... And even this half-assed apology I've made, I'm going to... To further weaken. Well, there's here are two different ways of talking about it. The harm that was caused. Yep. Any harm that was caused. One of them is conceding that harm was caused. Yes. The other one leaves it's, open specifically yeah. leaves open the possibility that it's no harm was harm. caused. It's potential harm. It's this theoretical harm. You claim there was harm, but you haven't proven it to me through my twelve-page form that you have to fill in and triplicate and provide to me. I really want to hear that followed up. I, w I wanted to hear. I would have liked to have heard a follow-up question saying, "Sorry, you say any harm? Is the government denying that there was harm caused?" Mm. I would like the follow-up. I know you say any harm caused, not the oh, harm caused. No, but Labor, I mean, Labor could have done nice. a supplementary question. The Prime Minister uses the word "any harm" rather than "the harm." Is the Prime Minister suggesting that he doesn't actually accept that there was harm caused? Mm. Or is he saying does he does the Prime Minister accept or not that harm was caused? Yes or no? And the other part of that faux apology was the remarks about, oh, we want debt collectors to do it humanely. <laughs> the idea that, oh, no, we've, we've encouraged them to do it in, in a, you know, an appropriate way. It's yeah. like, clearly they don't. And I want to follow up on that. What have you said to them? Yeah. When have you ever said... Your entire rhetoric about these measures are that there are rorters out there and that the taxpayers need to have these rorters tracked down and the taxpayers expect... Yeah. Like, his whole rhetoric is always has always been about the importance of grabbing this money back. Now, you can't it, run that now because it's obviously not true that the money was owed, but to say, oh, no, we don't want debt collectors going above and beyond, like, 
Wait, what I would have, actually like to what see. I would actually like to see a further costing done. Not only the money that they have to pay back, but what it actually costs them to implement the system, to put out to all these debt collectors, and to contract all of that out, and then to uh, claw back the system and to change it back. Like I would like to see what all these additional costs as well. Well, yeah, because remember when they were bringing all this in and they were claiming, and, and so it was going to cost this much, and it was never actually going to gain like much more than it was costing mm. in the first place and now that we know it's not even gaining that much because yeah. it's almost all has to be paid back yeah yeah 100 percent. look the taxpayers apparently according to the conservatives who, who reckon that they represent taxpayers apparently taxpayers want to spend a fortune on police guarding statues well i guess indefinitely because like i don't know how they're going to guard captain cook and apparently don't taxpayers they, don't, don't they actually represent <clears throat> tax loopholers yes because <laughs> like the, the, the Liberals' base, how much money do they do, do they recognise? Have they heard how much the Liberals have wasted on this war on the poor? Because it's a lot of money, oh. and that's coming from you. Yeah. You're paying all this money on the Liberal, to the Liberals to wage war on the poor. And nothing in that apology sounds like they wouldn't do it again. In fact, I think that that's one of the, one of the fundamental issues with why, in particular, Conservative apologies never sound genuine. Because, okay, so when a lefty politician gets caught out doing something wrong, um, they'll be apologetic in the sense of, I've been caught out. They're, they're trying to, try yeah. to minimise harm to themselves, but I don't think any of them genuinely think, oh, I should get to do that again. No, you're right. They always apologise, which is the thing. You know, I'm, a, I'm sorry if my comments offended you. Yeah, everybody does that. But what I'm, that's what I'm saying. <clears throat> like, they're, they're apologies that... They're apologies. They're, they're apologising that they got caught out. They are couching it in ways that make it sound like oh, crap, I'm only sorry if and when and but and the and like... Uh, but the difference is that the stuff that... The bad stuff that lefties get caught doing, I don't... You don't get the sense that they would do it again. You get mm. the sense that... Um, so, you have faux lefty centrist parties who do corrupt shit mm-hmm. where they're sorry they got caught, but they at least recognise that it was bad. But all of the response to this from the conservative side of, government, of politics... Like, they can't deny that the court no. has said, no, you can't do that. But up until the point the court made that decision... They were backing they were defending it. it. Oh, yeah. And if they can find a way of doing it that they can get away with, they will 100% do it again. Does yes. anybody listen to anything that Scummo is saying there and think that they re- re- regret anything other than the court saying no? No. If the court had said yes, they would have 100% happily taken that $1.5 billion... And done more of it. Yes. They would have. They knew long long before the court case that they these debts weren't genuine. Oh god, yeah. No, no. They've they've known all along. But as we alluded to at the beginning, the Morris government have announced this staggering wrought program for renovations for a very like all Morrison programs, you really have to be in a category of people who've like got wealth but have minimised your income through accountants and who have... Like, you've got to fit in a very small category in order to take full advantage of their program. So even this one here, you've got to have an income below a certain thing, but you've got to have this much money floating around the place that you can spend yeah. on the renovations to get this $25,000. Like, uh, it's supposed to help... And a- you have to spend a whole lot to get this $25,000. Yeah, so basically you've got to have lots of money, but they're, they're like... You've got to have your income below a certain thing, so you've got to, you've got to have been... The only people who qualify are people who've got... Asset wealth or heavy tax minimization schemes. Yes, or who and who own a home and are able to remortgage or refinance that home. 
Yeah. So which yeah. which means, but their income has to be high enough that they can that they get that that loan, but low enough that they fall under the threshold. Yeah. And the only people who fit that will be people who, who use accountants to minimise the tax. Like it's, there will be some people who genuinely fit into it, but yeah. they, it's a small small group of people. And, and what I'm saying is that the people who do fit within that will be some of the least deserving people. Yeah. It's an extraordinary rort for their their. For so the majority of people ways. who would fit into it, yes. And, and it's, but it's like you know when they were doing their thing for the firefighters and so it's, it, whenever Scummo announces a thing, like it will have been designed in such a way that. Oh, <laughs> That, that only the people he likes are still going to get it, even though it sounds like it'll extend more broadly. Yeah. Um, but even even if it did extend more broadly, it's like I'm not extending to the vast majority of Australians who you know don't have any hope of or the increasing majority, uh, proportion of Australians who don't have any hope of ever owning a home. It, you know that money could, if you're concerned with propping up construction, you could be putting it into public housing and social. Like, there's plenty of things that could be done that would improve. You know, housing affordability, but but this one's actually going to have the opposite effect. It's going to make houses more expensive. It's going yeah. to it's going to decrease housing affordability, and so you've got the money going in there, at the same time that they're about to um, halve the uh, social security payments again. But then also these other things that seem to have a very gendered aspect to it. So construction, very male dominated industry, that gets yeah. all this extra money. Childcare, female dominated industry, gets a massive cut. Yeah. So they're slashing JobKeeper in. They're slashing JobKeeper for childcare is before they slash JobKeeper for other people. They're going to be transitioned off of it before they trans- start transitioning other people off it. They're also ending free childcare as of July 12th. Yeah, now, now, to be fair, the Liberal Senator, Jared Rennick, has, a, has an argument for why cutting off childcare is somehow in the benefit of the community. At the end of the day, if you can keep a child at home, if you can keep a child at home, and if you can keep a parent at home, you're going to halve the congestion on the roads, you're going to halve the pollution, and you're going to increase you're going to increase the quality of life for their young children and the parents. And let me tell you something. Dorothy didn't tap her shoes together and say that there's no place like childcare. She said there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place... No, well, no, home is still a dangerous place because I just played you something from Jared's <laughs> running. By the way, dude, I'm going to drop this. I, there, I... There's no place like a world where these people don't exist. There's no place like a world where these... What? No, it's not working. I'm clicking my heels together. Yeah, but you're only wearing... You're wearing pink socks, not ruby slippers. Oh, darn Or silver slippers, depending on the book. Um, so that guy, by the way, I actually had a bit of audio that I had grabbed from him back in November that I never got around to playing on the podcast, which was him. Um, so just just in terms of the slight diversion, but the quality of the uh, LNP senators that we have, that same guy is also a mad climate conspiracy theorist. You have previously said that the Bureau of Meteorology, uh, you've accused it of rewriting weather records to fit in with the global warming That's right. agenda. Yep. What's the proof of that? Uh, the proof of that is basically that they uh, basically adapted a new weather measuring instrument and they didn't run a parallel run at the time. So if you're going to adapt a new measuring instrument, which they did in the late 90s, they should have run a parallel run with the old measuring instrument so that you knew what the difference between the old instrument and the new instrument was. They've released some pretty detailed papers on homogenisation of records, yep. for example, that if you took that out, actually, it would look as though global warming was worse than it was. Yep. So, okay, well, look, I've s- worked in finance for 25 years mm. and I've never known a CFO to walk into a company and rewrite the financial statements from 100 years ago. Okay, so why you would go back 50 or 60 years and rewrite records that, you know, you've got no idea of how they were measured, the standardisation or anything, mm. and then change that 
you've got to have proof. And, and the way that you do re regression analysis is that you've got to have a large number of observations to do this. But the, a large the reason why they say yeah. they've been doing it is because there were issues with some measuring stations. Yeah, In absolutely. some circumstances, there was a complete change around the environment, so it gave different readings. It's pretty detailed stuff. Uh, what are you accusing them of exactly? I'm accusing them of not following proper process for recording statistical data. Mm. But yeah. you, you had the word agenda when you mentioned this. So are you saying there are people in there deliberately altering data within the Bureau of Meteorology? I'm saying that we should have a more rigorous testing of the Bureau of Meteorology in the way they change data, absolutely. But the agenda part, as in they want more people to sort of take global warming seriously, so they're deliberately fiddling data. It's a pretty uh, serious accusation. Yeah, it is a serious accusation, and I stand by I don't believe that the record, the change in records, and mm. the way they've gone about it, and I've got a, I've got a background in system accounting where I've mm. changed records, and we've always done a parallel run. Look, I deal in finance, and I can tell you from being a finance person that they don't have strong scientific testing or documentation or justification or verification processes um, that CSIRO and the, and the BOM, you know, their, their sciencing isn't sciencey. Because like finance is the same as science. Yeah, like we would never go back and change our records based on new information that we've gotten. And they're um, all and, and uh, the real results would have made, made oh, it actually prove the point harder. Like if they wanted to promote the, the climate change they wanted to make that seem worse that they wouldn't have made the change at all like mm. I mean, it's anyway so that's a guy anyway so he's up there saying that that uh, child care you know that's that's the thing you women's you want to leave the house and you adding what you never think about the pollutions and the traffics well interestingly <laughs> enough um something i got out of my uh greens newsletter this week that is apparently if you've lost your if you're a woman and you want to get the parental payment you have to have worked the entire previous year, with the exception of, um, you can have eight to 12 weeks. Uh, I think it's just been increased to 12 weeks unemployed the previous year. Oh, for, for paid to qualify leave. for paid parental leave, yes. which is government paid parental leave, which is 18 weeks at a preposterously low rate, which is, but whatever, it's 18 weeks money from the government. Apparently, if you're pregnant and you've lost your job because of COVID. They're not filling that in? They're not filling that in. Of course they're not. So do you know what's really easy to do in the middle of a pandemic when you've lost your job? Get another job. Do you know what's even really e um, a lot easier to do when you're massively pregnant and only have a little bit of time left and people don't want to, there's no short-term jobs out there? Oh, but, but, uh, during the pandemic, it's definitely a great time to be getting a job when you're very massively pregnant. Oh, exactly. But also, there's no, sh like, no sh short-term jobs out there. <laughs> And they're not ones like, okay, no, you're right. I, you could have gotten a contract job walking around um, Whitehorse cleaning the playgrounds and the public benches because that would be while totally... While you're pregnant. Yeah, while, while, you're, you're, while you're pregnant. That would be totally appropriate. So apparently paid parental leave is taking a big hit because a lot of people who would be qualifying for it won't be qualifying for it. Like, we want women to stay at home and, and, and vote. We want women to go back to work. But, like, make up your mind, people. Maybe this is the point at which we will end the podcast this week. There, there are... There's quite a lot of things. I've got a whole lot more that I've grabbed that I haven't. I didn't play. I didn't play you the Greg Sheridan bit where he was talking about how Black Lives Matter, uh, black, black people actually have it totally fine, and it's because none of the black people he's ever known have ever told him about racism or discrimination that they've dealt with. And the fact that there's this much public outrage over the death of George Floyd clearly indicates that it's not a problem generally. Yeah. The very fact that America is convulsed over this shocking incident shows that it is not an America in which racial violence against blacks is um, 
is is normalised or accepted, you know, uh, carried out by official agencies or by private uh, private individuals. Because you know how the BLM protests are all about it's just this guy and we don't have any other examples. No. Well, that's exactly it. It's, it's not a massive list. Thank you, everybody, for seeing I'm sorry that we've had uh, such a difficult week in terms of getting the recording done. It's one of those things where once you started, once you got it ready to go, and then things keep getting added to it, it then becomes harder and harder to get the thing done. Anyway, there. this is an ongoing thing. Uh, I'm sure there'll be much more to discuss this week as well. So we'll try and get an episode out to you. Uh, uh, later this week but before the weekend thank you to our Patreon subscribers you are how the podcast keeps going thank you so much for your support I'm hoping that Patreon Patreon's starting to send out weird messages about GST and things hopefully it doesn't apply to this podcast which is not a for profit podcast so I don't hopefully that won't happen but if you do get something like that we'll, we'll try and deal with them if they do it but thank you to our Patreon subscribers you are how the podcast keeps going thank you very much thank you to all of our listeners who have come back thank you to everybody who's left a positive review on the iTunes Thank you very much to Robin Gray for the music and Alex Lund for the artwork. And thank you, my beloved darling, for coming back for a podcast with no, no challenges in the background. None at all, whatsoever. none at all. We'll Let's see you just say that Bluey is a, uh, a useful tool in occupying a preschooler. Except for when preschooler starts giggling at Bluey. <laughs> Have a great day, everyone. See you next week.